0: Working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana.
1: And financially supported by listeners like you.
3: Hello, and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. Coming up in this edition of Eco Report, we have part two. ...of a conversation between environmental correspondent Zero Rose and eco-architect Mark Lakeman on the human ecology of placemaking and building tiny home eco-villages for the unhoused community. And now for
4: your environmental reports. Inside climate change brings up an issue rarely discussed. New polls have found that religious beliefs may play an important role in whether someone believes humans are warming the planet by burning fossil fuels. The findings come as Pope Francis released his latest papal letter rebuking the irresponsible lifestyle of Westerners and chastising those who tried to delay efforts to address the climate crisis or denying its very existence. Quote, despite all attempts to deny, conceal, gloss over the issue, the signs of climate change are here and increasing and increasingly evident. End quote. Pope Francis wrote in his exhortation released Wednesday, urging world leaders to do far more to address global warming ahead of the COP twenty eight climate talks next month. No one can ignore the fact that in recent years we have witnessed extreme weather phenomena frequent periods of unusual heat drought and other cries of protest apparently red states have not received the memo many candidates for upcoming elections make sure to emphasize
3: how fervently they endorse coal europe just launched the world's first carbon tariff will the united states follow suit Inside Climate Change reports companies that want to do business in the European Union will soon have to pay extra if the carbon footprints of their products are too high. The EU officially began phase one of its carbon tariff. The first of its kind tax scheme could help reduce climate warming emissions of industries that are notoriously hard to decarbonize, including cement and steel manufacturing. Under the EU's new policy, foreign companies must now report all the greenhouse gas emissions associated with certain imported goods, cement, steel, iron, aluminum, fertilizers, hydrogen fuel, and electricity. Starting in 2026, any of those imports that don't meet the bloc's emission standards will face an additional fee when crossing the border. Other goods will be considered for the tax in the coming years, the European Commission said. The tax policy has drawn criticism from countries like China and Russia, which argue it undermines the principles of free trade and worsens geopolitical tensions. Supporters say the program is necessary to put EU companies on an even playing field with nations that have lower environmental standards. They also say it will incentivize incentivize industries to more quickly reduce their carbon emissions and encourage other company, countries to follow suit by adopting their own carbon tariffs. The fossil fuel industry makes sure that it
4: will thrive even as ending the burning of fossil fuels is seen as necessary to avoid melting most of the world's ice. The New York Times reports the Biden administration announced Friday it would lease a handful of spots in the Gulf of Mexico to oil companies for drilling over the next five years, a move that angered Republicans, the fossil fuel industry, and climate activists alike. The administration said oil and gas companies would be able to drill in just three new areas in the Gulf between 2024 and 2029, the smallest number of lease sales offered since the federal drilling program began decades ago. Under a new law, the government must offer leases for oil drilling before it can invite developers to build wind wind farms in federal waters. Producing clean electricity from wind turbines is one of President Biden's top priorities as he tries to reduce the fossil fuel pollution that is dangerously heating the planet.
3: Eco Report has aired stories about the status of the coral reefs in Florida throughout the summer. Now that summer is over, it's time to check out how the reefs are doing. Vox has, ha, was launched in 2014. It is a news website that specializes in explanatory journalism. Vox reports that the last three months, a marine heat wave has been cooking the Caribbean, breaking down the relationship between coral and those symbiotic algae. Some shallow buoys in South Florida registered temperatures in excess of 100 degrees Fahrenheit degrees in July, about as warm as a hot tub. And for weeks on end, reefs in the Florida Keys, the largest coral reef in the continental U.S., were soaking in 90-plus degree weather. <coughs> That's well beyond the threshold for bleaching in this region. Quote, I've never seen anything like this in this area, period, end quote, said Ian Enochs, a coral biologist at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, who's been monitoring Florida's reefs for more than a decade. This mass bleaching event has made an already bad situation worse. Well before summer, the area of healthy reefs in the Florida Keys had already already declined by 90 percent due to past heat waves, diseases, ocean acidification, and other threats. The majority of Florida's reefs that remain, meanwhile, are eroding. The bleached corals are an ongoing tragedy. Across the Florida Keys and throughout much of the Caribbean, coral reefs have bleached and many of them are dying. Some of these starving corals are literally centuries old. Others were planted recently to revive the reefs, and their bleaching represents devastating setbacks for the coral restoration. Forecasters are predicting the El Nino event will continue into the summer of 2024. Thus, it would appear that any corals that survive bleaching this year will be weakened going into next year's bleaching. Now the emphasis is on developing corals that are better able to tolerate high water temperatures. This could take several years. The Center
4: for Biological Diversity and Allies just sued the U.S. Forest Service for approving a massive timber sale on the border of Yellowstone National Park. The project would commercially log more than 12,000 acres and clear-cut more than 5,500 acres, destroying habitat for grizzly bears and lynx. But the Forest Service failed to properly study how it threatens those species, not to mention the greater Yellowstone ecosystem and the climate. We know our continued existence relies in part on preserving our planet's remaining forests and protecting threatened species, said the center's Kristen Ackland. Quote, this project is completely out of step with both those urgent needs. We're committed to stopping this devastating project before one tree is cut. End quote. U.S. government agencies are expected to quantify the climate impact of their actions under new guidance issued by President Joe Biden's administration. But the U.S. Forest Service decided to move forward with a logging project on the border of Yellowstone National Park without applying the new White House guidance, which would have involved a detailed projection of the resulting greenhouse gas emissions.
3: What is the outlook for the coming winter? The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration has made a prediction. 2023 will almost certainly be either the warmest or second warmest year on human record after 2016, NOAA scientists said. El Nino conditions, which release additional heat into the atmosphere and are associated with warmer years on average, are expected to last at least through the northern hemisphere winter. It's entirely possible that 2024 could be even warmer than 2023. The atmospheric carbon dioxide is now growing at the fastest rate ever recorded.
4: And now we turn to Zero Rose and part two of his interview with village builder Mark Lakeman of Communitecture about how to address poverty, homelessness, pollution and social isolation by creating tiny home eco villages with collective resourcing and job programs. They discuss how Bloomington can learn from how models like Dignity Village and Veterans Village in Oregon have become self-sustaining green business incubators that employ residents, allowing them to accrue savings while they pay a minimal amount to help maintain operations. The full interview is available online as an eco-report extra in the archive of programs produced by Firehouse Broadcasting on our website at wfhb.org.
1: We have with us today Michael Large, Special Projects and Operations Manager for the City of Bloomington Department of Public Works, and he's going to be filling us in about some of the environmental initiatives they have going on. Uh, thank you for being with us today, Michael. Thank you for the time and opportunity. And so, uh, one of the things that. It's- and uh, I was interested to see that uh, part of the Dignity Village evolution was that it became a nonprofit and a small business incubator, that space was made for that. And as you were saying earlier, some of these conservative types about bootstraps, well, there you go. I mean, it's about creating an autonomy, a self sufficiency. And I believe they're mostly not on government programs. And things there, what is it, $50 a month that people are paying to participate. I'm sure there's a bit of a sliding scale and discretion involved there. And then self-governance structure that they've developed, code, and things like fire inspections, you know. Yeah, there's uh, one thing for sure is that there's
2: these founding conditions that are really challenging. Uh, you have to make agreements to get things up and running. But then as everybody kind of learns and establishes trust, and I'm talking about you know everyone from the village, the people living in that village, to um, the people that are like working with the bureaucracy, from within the bureaucracy to help kind of regulate this or help it kind of establish itself. And then the local community, everybody has these initial learning curves but um as people kind of shift from a founding mode to a more of a management mode um you know then then more becomes possible uh in the case of dignity village you know they're moving in building platforms in order to just set up their tents and uh it can be like that it's actually quite a beautiful thing i, I think it's kind of an anthropological process to watch that people go from You know basically a nomadic phase to a settled phase and um that's where middle school kids with tools high school kids county employees if you have a high amount of veterans in this, oh my god so let me just tell you about this one village that we've done this is called veterans village (sighs) oregon city came to us and they're like okay we're really conservative place and it's a stretch to just help anybody. But we know for sure what is a good starter for this community is veterans. We can help veterans get off the street. And um, as we know that that will be supported across the community. So we have created Veterans Village. For the cost of one freaking single-family house, we built 36 individual units, all with electricity, and then centralized services of a giant community kitchen with multiple burners and and sinks, a huge dining hall, an infirmary, an office, laundry, showers, toilets, ADA access systems, you know, a parking lot, all of that for the cost of one single family house. But part of what made that possible is the fact that there's all these all these Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, and more veterans out there ready to help. Oh my God, it's like a tool festival. It's like a tool parade. If you say that you are going to help veterans and you put out the call, you freaking have the Army, Air Force, Navy, and Marines show up to help with all their tools ready to go. Like we blasted out 36 units. We mass produced them. And it was the most beautiful thing. I just want to say this to every conservative in the country. You totally are missing out if you don't get to watch veterans from the military working with kids and showing them how to use tools. There's your better world right there. And they're doing it with their hands. Who in the world, who in the world would ever oppose such an idea? And that's what Bloomington can have. Our society needs to stand up and come to its own damn rescue. And the way that we begin doing that is with the people that are right in front of us in distress. We have all these people that need to help, like all these people with skills and talents that totally want to help. We have all these disengaged youth that are totally like atrophying in these technological distractions and then falling into drugs. If people are afraid of addressing problems, then they're missing the whole opportunity of re-engaging the disengaged society to start focusing on one problem after another problem and starting to convert them into these you know, luminous solutions that inspire us to do more. The thing about houseless people, I would say to everybody in the damn country, is they are right in front of your face. And it's almost like God is putting your opportunity right in your face, calling like, Hello, hello, knock, knock, knock. Is your heart awake? Is your empathy alive? Do you see that they also have thumbs and can speak? Like your species is in distress in front of your very eyes. and if you can't show up to that, you do not deserve redemption. your your the train is passing you by, you know? People want to have a sense of hope. They've got to get involved with their own skills and talents and agency and their own freaking. Like This is one of the most beautiful things. When we do this work, we find all these people with one degree of separation between them. Like you've got somebody building some house, and then and then they meet the person who they're building for, and it's their best freaking friend from third grade. You know, like that's what you find. That's the magic in all of this re-engage, reconnect, and discover all of the richness of of the connection that's right in front of your face all the time, that you're not like really
1: bothering to discover because you're not involved. And so um, how many of these communities are able to become self-sustaining? And uh, is that by them becoming a business in any kind of way? And yeah,
2: mm-hmm. green jobs. you brought this up, and I'm sorry I didn't address it sooner, but about Dignity Village, yeah, at first they didn't have micro enterprises because they were too busy, busy building infrastructure, and that's a good enough story, you know, Portland, Oregon was really satisfied to see that they were so busy being productive and industrious, but, you know, at first no one could afford to pay anything. Um, But now they are entirely economically self-supporting. You know, everybody in the village chips in some amount of money. And, you know, the last time I was out there, I'm on their board of advisors. Last time I was out there, it was 25 a month. And I was impressed. Like, that's, that's really good. And then, you know, the thing is so successful, it helps them actually start to save money everybody there is stable enough to get out and get a job. And then they, they start building up some money so that then they can transition out of the village. Cause except for the fact that they make their best friends, their best friendships of their life there. And they develop lasting long, long, like lifelong relationships there. Everybody for other than that, they would all like to go back to a normal life, you know, except in a normal life, they're way more isolated from other people than they are at the village. So that's what makes it hard to leave. But the village itself, it gives them the opportunity to attain leadership, to live in a place of co-responsibility. It does all this stuff to repair people. That's why it has the lowest crime rate in all the city. People there become very mentally and physically healthy because living and working happens in the same place and the relationships with everyone around them deepens, they all become great listeners and great communicators. And this is what actually replaces violence and distress and drug dependence because they find the thing that was missing the whole time, which is a place among a greater whole. Like every American, and I, I don't even care what somebody, like, no, I'm libertarian. I'm an, I have an island done to myself. I don't need no roads not. I don't even need air, damn it. Like, every freaking American is starved to go beyond just being an individual. They want to be part of a greater whole. They do. They want to be part of a family. They want to be part of a community on some level. And anybody who fights against that is going to actually have to turn around and notice that they're, they're part of clubs. They might be part of some group that's trying to overthrow the government. But like, whatever their affinity group is, that's something that they're attracted to. And that's real. So at the village, yeah, it's self-sufficient. There's all these micro enterprises. Village has a great deal with the urban foresters. Like for, foresters have to take down problematic maples or something like that, or an oak tree drops a branch on some power lines. You gotta take down the tree at some point. The big pieces of biomass get trucked out to the village rather than chipping them up and putting them in a dump where all they do is emit carbon and make climate change worse. Instead, the tree parts go to Dignity Village, they cut them up, they split them, and then they season them and sell them to Portlanders for fuel for the winter wintertime. Um, and then that helps to pay the bills for the village. So the village has lots of things going on. Each individual contributes a little money. The village has enterprises that it does as a group. And then it has these smaller enterprises that individuals and in little smaller groups are doing. And all of it adds up to the resource that the village needs to to meet its needs, to feed itself and stuff. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, great to hear things like that, that, you know, we can take to people that just can't conceive of it being anything but a repository of the most lazy, good for nothing uh shirkers <laughs> yeah. you know, which which really exist, but even those people uh can be inspired into things and if, even if they can't, it's less of a problem for the community to have them housed and fed than out trying to steal to survive. Uh, you know to to be putting them through the hospital to taxpayer money to keep them in jail and then feed them commissary in there it, it's it's less expensive and it's better for the community if they are not just pushed right onto the pavement and not even allowed to sleep every time they lay down they ran off somewhere else that increases the stress the the mental degradation it it, it it even more so makes, it makes people go to drugs. It costs, to sell us.
2: it costs us in so many ways. And it just makes the problem get worse and worse and worse until it, it's at your door. And uh, I think it costs us our, our soul.
0: This is In Nature. The chickadee is a common bird wintering in our woods, parks, and gardens. Its many adaptations allow it to survive our cold winters. Chickadees, tufted titmice, and nuthatches gather together to look for food and roost together to stay warm. They will also mob, gathering together to attack a much larger bird, thus chasing an enemy from their premises. Feathers are wonderful insulators, and additional feathers are added during their winter molt. When the birds preen, the oil spread on their feathers protects them from getting wet and chilly. Chickadees will use conifer trees and old nests as winter roosts, so leave old nests in your garden. They eat insect eggs and hibernating insects including the larvae of the goldenrod gall fly, which they easily extricate from the gall. They will eat the seeds in feeders and also those on plants left in gardens. However, the most important need for this bird and others in the winter is water. A heated birdbath would be welcomed. They forage all day in order to have the energy to last the night. During extremely cold winter nights, they can lower their body temperature up to 15 degrees. In this way, they can save energy by burning fewer calories. You've been listening to In Nature.
3: For Eco Report, I'm Juliana Daly and I am Cynthia Roberts. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at Eco Report we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org.
4: And now for some upcoming events. Help plant native trees to reforest the old field at the Ferguson Dog Park, located at 4300 North Stone Mill Road in Bloomington, on Saturday, October 14th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. This fall native tree planting will help migrating birds, pollinators, small animals, and native plants. Help make a difference. Register at bloomington.in.gov
3: parks. Join the Uplands Network chapter of the Sierra Club on Saturday, October 14th from 9 a.m. to noon for a hike along the Scarce O'Fat Trail in Yellowwood State Park. Bring your own water.
4: Learn all about the edible bounty of the forest during a fall foraging leisurely walk through the RCA Community Park on Sunday, October 15th from noon to 2 p.m. Wear comfortable shoes and bring water. Register at
3: bloomington.in.gov parks. Help with trash cleanup at the dam at Monroe Lake on Monday, October the 16th, beginning at 1030 a.m. After checking in, you will be picking up trash around the dam, spillway, tailwater, and surrounding area. Wear closed-toed shoes and bring water. Sign up at bit.ly slash 2023-cleanup-dam.
4: Leave the leaves and do less yard work. Workshop is scheduled for Thursday, October 19th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. at the Willie Streeter Community Gardens. Pollinators and other invertebrates Require fallen leaves for shelter over winter. We need pollinators for our food, so leave the leaves. Sign up at bloomington.in.gov/parks.
3: And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written
4: by Norm Holy. Today's news feature was produced by Zero Rose, and edited by Noel Herhusky Schneider. Juliana Daly assembled the script, which was edited by Zero Rose. Juliana Daly also compiled our events calendar. Kate Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider produced today's show. Brandon Blewett is our engineer.
3: For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly. And I am Cynthia Roberts. And this is Eco Report.
1: That the Earth wants you to hear.
0: Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas
1: directly to the Eco Report staff. The
0: email address is
1: earth at wfhb.org.
0: That's earth at wfhb.org. <laughs>